Arlington police say protests Monday remain generally peaceful, but say there were, quote, several agitators. Send me another unit, please. Send me another unit. Look what you did to my store. This is a movement, I'm telling you. They're not going to stop. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. All right. Welcome back to Into the Fray. So prepping the show this week was an interesting experience. Every week as I'm wrapping up the latest episode, I have to make a decision on what topic I'm going to cover the following week. I have an extremely busy life, and if I don't prep the show a little every day, I won't keep up. It was late last Sunday night, and I decided that because the media and big tech had already threatened to censor ideas they didn't like post-election, and the election is so close, I'd focus on big tech censorship. There's been plenty to go around. I started compiling my usual open tabs of news articles on the subject, and then, at some point Wednesday night or Thursday, my computer shut itself off and I lost all those open browser tabs. I don't have a lot of extra time, and that was a lot of work lost. Then I realized that Twitter and Facebook had made the case for me that day when they scrambled to cover up a New York Post story. This week is really just going to be an extension of my show from two weeks ago. The New York Post isn't some fly-by-night rag. I've been critical of them before, and I'm sure it'll happen again, but major established newspapers don't release news of this magnitude without the sources to back them up in court. They published a huge story revealing documents from a hard drive allegedly belonging to Hunter Biden. The hard drive included compromising videos of the former vice president's son, as well as emails suggesting that Hunter Biden arranged a meeting between a European oil and natural gas giant called Burisma and his father, the vice president of the United States at the time, apparently leveraging access to his father's influence in exchange for $50,000 a month. The implication is that the Biden family sold access to United States foreign policy to an overseas interest. And this is only one example. There's evidence suggesting they did this in both Russia and China as well, for similar sums of cash. It makes me wonder if Joe got legal advice at some point suggesting that his son was actually in violation of the Logan Act. That would explain why the obscure and never-before-used legislation was on his mind when Obama's White House was trying to figure out how to go after Michael Flynn. The article continues by suggesting that when the Ukrainian prosecutor general opened up an investigation into Burisma, Joseph Biden leveraged foreign aid to get him fired in order to kill the investigation. Here's the phone call. Hey, Mr. President, Joe Biden, how are you? Very well indeed. All the time when I hear your voice, it's a great pleasure for me. Well, I'm on Air Force Two, and I think we're going to stay connected. We just took off, and I'm hoping this connection will stay open. And here's the follow-up. Hey, Mr. President, Joe Biden. How are you? Very well, indeed. As usual, when I hear your voice. Thank you very well, much. you are doing very well. Congratulations on, uh, on getting a new prosecutor general. I know there's a lot more than that to be done, but I really, uh, I really think, that's, I think that's good. Uh, and I understand you're working with the rod in the coming days on a number of additional laws to secure the IMF. 
Congratulations on installing the new prosecutor general. It's going to be critical uh, for him to work quickly to repair the damage Chokin did. And I'm a man of my word. I um, and that now that the new prosecutor general is in place, we're ready to move forward and signing that new one billion dollar loan guarantee. Then, to add insult to injury, he bragged about leveraging that billion dollars in foreign aid to get the man fired. This is from a segment from Timcast. I said, no, nah, I said, I'm not going to, we're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. <laughs> I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours. I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. This is corruption on a magnitude that should shake anyone who realizes this man has a shot at becoming president of the United States with authority over foreign policy and access to the nuclear football. He's corrupt and he's compromised by foreign interests. And Twitter, Facebook, and legacy media are working overtime to cover for him. They've shown their hand, and they're all in. There doesn't seem to be any length they're unwilling to go to protect their man. And these are the organizations that have nearly total control of the public discourse. I think it's important to review what these social media outlets are and are not. They're platforms. There are two primary entities that transfer information in the public domain. One is a publisher, the other is a platform. A publisher has full editing rights and assumes responsibility for all content disseminated through their outlet. Newspapers like the New York Times, or even your local newspaper, television stations, book publishers, film companies, these are all publishers. They retain control over the content they produce and distribute. A publisher is legally accountable for the content they produce. When CNN damaged Nicholas Sandman's good name, they were held accountable for that content through a defamation suit. Then there are platforms. These are public forums where people can create and share ideas and information. Examples of platforms include telephone companies, internet providers, hosting services, and social media outlets. These platforms carry and house content created by others. With very few, very extreme exceptions, they have no editing rights, and as such, bear little to no responsibility for the content they carry in store. Imagine holding AT&T accountable in a defamation suit for a phone call someone made using their service. The victim, instead of going after AT&T, has to go after the individual or organization who used the platform to cause harm. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all of these platforms enjoy this legal protection, not afforded to a publisher but they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. They claim platform status, but they're exercising the editing rights of a publisher. There's a reason platforms are protected the way they are. Publishers create, edit, and disseminate content. They have control of and are therefore responsible for what they produce. Platforms house content created by others. Twitter and Facebook are the means by which millions of Americans share ideas and information with each other. If they're allowed to decide what people will and won't see, what they are and are not allowed to share and say... That gives them control of the public discourse. That is a power so valuable, so important, that we took it away from government entirely. Most of today's show is focused on Silicon Valley, but Newt Gingrich exposed just how jumpy the left is on Fox News of all places. At the end of this clip, the silence? That's not a mistake. That's an awkward silence. Speaker Gingrich, I know yeah. you have a final thought for us. Yeah, look, the number one problem in almost all these cities is George Soros-elected, left-wing, anti-police, pro-criminal district attorneys who refuse to pe keep people locked up. 
just yesterday, they put somebody back on the street who's wanted for two different murders in New York City. Uh, you cannot solve this problem. And both Harris and Biden have talked very proudly about what they call progressive district attorneys. Progressive district attorneys are anti-police, pro-criminal, and overwhelmingly elected with George Soros's money, and they're a major cause of the violence we're seeing because they keep putting the violent criminals back on the street. I'm not sure we need to bring George Soros into this. Whoa. They just told their guest who he is and is not allowed to talk about. I was going to say you get the last word, he Speaker. <laughs> he, he, he paid for it. I mean, why can't we discuss the fact that millions no, of he dollars he spent? I, I agree with well, Melissa. George Soros doesn't need to be a part of this conversation. Okay. So it's verboten. All right. We're going to. Okay, we're going to move on. Ultra cringe. Tacitus said, if you would know who controls you, see who you may not criticize. Three guesses who pops into their heads when they hear that quote. Right now, most stories, most news, most information is shared through social media, and most people still get their news from legacy media. Here's a bit of what they've been up to, just this last week. From The Blaze, Twitter locked the account of White House Press Secretary Kylie McKenney on Wednesday after she cited a New York Post story about Hunter Biden. Think about what that means. The White House press secretary is the spokesperson for the executive branch of the federal government. Her job is to keep the nation informed of all relevant information related to the White House. She did nothing more than cite an article from a long-established and credible newspaper, and Twitter locked her account, preventing her from reaching millions of Americans who use the platform to follow what's going on. It didn't stop there, though. The president's campaign retweeted the New York Post article and was immediately locked. Three weeks before the election, and Twitter is locking the incumbent's account. The article isn't some hack smear job. It's actual news. The information is credible enough that Congress and the FBI are both looking into it. From Breitbart, Mike Hahn, a social media manager for Team Trump, revealed the censorship in a tweet earlier today. Twitter has suspended at Team Trump for posting a video calling Joe Biden a liar who has been ripping off our country for years, as it relates to the New York Post article, said Hahn. He added the suspension comes 19 days out from the election. Team Trump is the official account of the Trump campaign. It has 2.2 million followers and plays a critical role in disseminating the campaign's message on Twitter. The fact that it is unable to post is a major advantage granted by Twitter to the Biden campaign. Right now, there are a lot of important people calling for Twitter to be held accountable for what they call an in-kind contribution to the Biden campaign. I can't even imagine trying to quantify that contribution. It didn't stop there. From The Blaze, in an amazing development Thursday morning, Twitter restricted user access to an official government website in order to censor a bombshell report on Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden and his son Hunter. Twitter went to great lengths to censor the story, blocking users from sharing it on the platform, barring users from sending it in direct messages, and suspending high-profile accounts that share the story. In response to the censorship, the Republican House Judiciary Committee decided to publish the story on their website so that interested Americans could read it. The committee then posted a link to the publication on Twitter, redirecting users to their website, not the New York Post's. But it didn't matter. Twitter censored that too. Washington Examiner reporter Jerry Dunleavy noted in a tweet that Twitter is not only restricting viewing access to the link on the Judiciary Committee's website, but it is also restricting users from sharing the link on the platform. 
So Silicon Valley has taken it upon itself to prevent us from hearing what the White House press secretary and a Senate website are communicating. We find ourselves in a position where private entities, private interests, are standing as gatekeepers between us and our elected representatives. If you didn't pee your pants just a little just now, you might need to go back about 10 seconds and don't tune out this time. Now, as if 2020 wasn't insane enough, satire news is actually coming true. From the Babylon Bee, a satire news site in the similar vein as The Onion or Gomer blog, we get this beauty. Big tech fights election interference by interfering in election. It's a hilarious headline, and any other year would be a great joke. But this time it's actually true. What else do you call it when the top platforms in the nation actively suppress legitimate news and shuts down a presidential candidate to keep it suppressed? The Babylon Bee hit the nail on the head with a second satire headline the same day, clearly riffing off of news articles from the COVID response. Twitter shuts down entire network to slow spread of negative Biden news. That should be a joke, but the truth is, whether or not they actually shut down their own network that day, they went into overdrive working to shut down the story. I really hope Project Veritas has a whistleblower inside Twitter right now and blows this thing open. Okay, so I have to insert something here while we're talking about the Babylon Bee. I finished writing the show, went to get something to eat, and I was scrolling through my feed on Parler, and I kid you not, this came up. Facebook censored the Babylon Bee for this headline. Senator Hirono demands Amy Coney Barrett be weighed against a duck to see if she's a witch. Y'all have seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, right? Whether she is a witch. So, logically, if she weighs the same as a duck, she's made of wood. And therefore, a witch! A witch! We shall use my larger scales. That's what this article was playing off. This is hilarious. I had just finished like six straight hours of writing about Silicon Valley censorship, and almost at the top of my feed, I get this gem. The left has lost the plot. I think this proves that they have no sense of humor. Not just that they aren't funny, but that they don't even recognize a joke when it's staring them in the face. I mean, I'm no musician, but I recognize music when I hear it. I think Facebook's response was even funnier than the original headline. Alright, let's get back to some more serious matters. Senator Mike Lee ran into some problems too. On Parler, an alternative to Twitter that has vowed to respect open discourse, Senator Lee posted, My son has a friend who tweeted yesterday the words, Hunter Biden looks like Jordan Peterson if he were a stepdad. She attached a stock photo of Hunter Biden. She was later notified that her Twitter account had been locked. He followed that up later saying, I just tried to tweet today's article about Hunter Biden in the New York Post. Twitter couldn't handle it and generated this response. Attached is a screenshot from Twitter that reads, Tweet not sent. Your tweet couldn't be sent because the link has been identified by Twitter or our partners as being potentially harmful. Visit our help center to learn more. The only people that link is potentially harmful to is the people whose alleged corruption it reveals. This is no small potatoes issue. Censoring information is the hallmark of authoritarian governments and their lackeys, which kind of begs the question, which are they trying to be? China is probably the most proficient censor in the modern age. And funny enough, Google built a prototype censoring search engine for them. China maintains power and control in large measure by controlling what information is available. The Chinese people aren't stupid. They know they're being lied to. But when the truth isn't available, you don't know what you're missing. 
The New York Post article reveals critical information voters need to make an informed decision about a presidential candidate. If their friends want to share this information, friends who in many cases are restricted from face-to-face interactions due to COVID response overreach, they'll never know because Twitter or Facebook prevented the communication. This is power no one should have. Clearly, they have objectives, one of which is that they want Joseph Biden as president, and they're controlling the flow of information to preempt any discussion that compromises that goal. The Hunter-Biden scramble is just a particularly overt form of this large-scale censorship that's been ramping up for at least the last four years. Most of these breaches in trust have been subtle enough that I think generally, people are largely unaware it's happening, but the consequences have been well-documented. From a 2017 Media Matters playbook, exposed by the Gateway Pundit, Media Matters has already secured access to raw data from Facebook, Twitter, and other social media sites. We have also put in place the technology necessary to automatically mine white nationalist message boards and alt-right communities for our archive. After Facebook responded to our campaign by acknowledging the problem of fake news and agreeing to do something about it, we began a dialogue. It became clear from these conversations that Facebook needed our help in fully understanding the problem and identifying concrete solutions. Further, it also became clear that we had information and insight that they didn't have that was helpful in educating them on the full scope of the problem. For example, Media Matters had a detailed map of the constellation of right-wing Facebook pages that had been the biggest purveyors of fake news, as well as insight into the food chain of fake news and how it was moving through the Facebook ecosystem. Similarly, after Google revised their terms of service in order to prohibit so-called fake news sites from using their advertising network, it was Media Matters that had information necessary to identify 40 of the worst fake news sites to which this policy applied. Sounds great on the surface, right? They want to block the spread of lies and white supremacy on the internet? Here's where we run into problems, though. 1. For a republic to succeed, we need open discourse. People have to be able to sort out for themselves what's true and valuable and what's not. If we're going to have any good ideas, we have to allow bad ones, put everything on the table, discuss the options, and progress forward with the valuable ones. Otherwise, we end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Differing people have different views on which ideas are good and bad. If anyone is allowed to decide, ahead of the public discourse, which ideas are allowed and which are not, they control the end policy, and everyone is subject to it. I'll give a really simplified analogy. If the office staff is trying to decide what kind of food to have for an event, and I suggest sushi, and another person suggests pizza, then the whole office can decide if they want sushi or pizza, with all the associated considerations like cost, availability, quality, and preference. If I can prevent pizza from ever being suggested, if I can hide the option or make it socially dangerous to bring it up, there will be no discussion and we're having sushi. Well, I'm happy, and that's the important part, right? Now, lunch may be a small thing, but what if I was talking about policy that determined if and how you are allowed to defend your home, or whether you're required to chemically transition your six-year-old child? Now you want open discourse, don't you? You don't want someone cutting off the discussion and silencing people who oppose transitioning six-year-olds. Any entity that sets themselves up to control what is and is not allowed in public discourse is authoritarian. These platforms claim to be fighting fascism, yet one of the key pillars of a successful fascist regime is control of the flow of information and the public discourse. Back to the Gateway Pundit article. Top conservative Facebook pages with daily traffic in the millions have seen 75 to 95% drop in traffic since the 2016 election. Facebook has been shutting down traffic to conservative websites since the 2016 election. 
most prominent conservative publishers from the November 2016 election have been hit hard or eliminated. The left did not expect to lose in 2016. They thought they were guaranteed a win, and they have been scrambling ever since to try to recover lost ground. Trump didn't just interrupt the Democrats' Marxist plans. He stomped on them and then blew raspberries at them for good measure. We've just seen what Silicon Valley is doing with conservative voices. Now let's take a look at what they have planned running up to the election. From MSNBC, Facebook will ban new political ads for the week leading up to Election Day in the U.S. and remove posts that try to suppress or discourage voting, Mark Zuckerberg announced Thursday. And from another article on the Gateway Pundit, this policy only hurts Republicans and the president. For the week before the election, only pro-Biden messages shared on social media from the mainstream Biden-loving media will be shared while Trump won't be allowed to even buy ads to share his message. So they silence conservative voices and are banning paid advertisements on one of the biggest platforms in the world. This means what remains, unstifled, is all pro-Joseph Biden. Back to the article. Mark Zuckerberg started off the recent announcement by Big Tech stating that Big Tech needs to prepare the American people that there's nothing illegitimate with this election taking days or even weeks to make sure all the votes are counted. Wow, they're really pushing that one hard, aren't they? They need to prepare us? Is that what we use their service for? I'm going to pause here. First things first. There seems to be a misconception running around that if a decision isn't reached in time, that Pelosi becomes acting president. The 12th Amendment to our Constitution says that if the Electoral College fails to return a victor, in other words, if neither Trump nor Biden can get 270 electors, then it's up to the House of Representatives to immediately determine the election. The representatives from each state vote, and that determines the vote from each state. Each state gets one vote. Majority wins. If the House fails to return a victor by March 4th, the vice president becomes acting president until they do. That's Pence, not Pelosi. And once again, the Constitution may well save our republic. There's a real possibility that Democrats will run this thing out as far as they can, as long as the process looks like it's going in Trump's favor. Hillary Clinton gave us this. And, you know, Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. And eventually, I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch. Are you starting to see how this all fits together? Now, second, it shouldn't matter if Trump claims victory on Halloween, on November 2nd, or even tomorrow. We have a process to determine the election. The issue is with all the attempts to alter that process in these last moments. Third, the election is always announced the night of. I think most people don't realize that the results you get on election night come from the media outlets and are not an official conclusion. We have a long-standing precedent of unofficially announcing the winner the night of the election, and it's never been wrong yet but it's not official until everything is sorted. Finally, as we saw with Senator Lee's parlor post, they will censor even the passing mention, by anyone, of something they are trying to control. It almost certainly won't be just the Trump campaign accounts that are locked and controlled, but anyone who comes close to the subject. Twitter has openly published their plans. The moment you stop giving them the benefit of the doubt, it becomes pretty clear what they're up to. From Breitbart, Twitter announced the upcoming changes in a blog post today titled... Expanding our policies to further protect the civic conversation. Via the Twitter blog. In recognition of the changing circumstances of how people will vote in 2020, and in line with our commitment to protect the integrity of the election conversation, we're expanding the existing framework. The goal is to further protect against content that could suppress the vote and help stop the spread of harmful misinformation 
that could compromise the integrity of an election or other civic process. They've made themselves the champions of election integrity instead of allowing public discourse. The Babylon Bee nailed it. Big Tech fights election interference by interfering in election. Again and again, they assert their authority over communication between private individuals and private organizations. One of the running themes, the talking points, I suppose, is the idea that they're protecting against content that could suppress the vote. Anybody ever read Don Quixote? A white knight is only a white knight when there's a real and immediate danger, and the damsel isn't already capable of taking care of herself. In this case, we're plenty capable. We need to assert our authority to determine truth and error, and what's of value to us, for ourselves. The article continues. Twitter outlined three types of false or misleading information about elections that will be subject to censorship, although the post also stressed that the list doesn't limit the company's ability to take action on tweets that don't fall under the three categories. Starting next week, we will label or remove false or misleading information intended to undermine public confidence in an election or other civic process. This includes, but is not limited to, false or misleading information that causes confusion about the laws and regulations of a civic process or officials and institutions executing those civic processes. Disputed claims that would undermine faith in the process itself. Example, unverified information about election rigging, ballot tampering, vote tallying, or certification of election results. Again, this is really just an extension of the show from two weeks ago. Back to it. Misleading claims about the results or outcome of a civic process which calls for or could lead to interference with the implementation of the results of the process. Example, claiming victory before the election results have been certified inciting unlawful conduct to prevent a peaceful transfer of power or orderly succession. So, photos and emails exposing the corruption in the Biden family, actual evidence, is false or misleading? It definitely undermines faith, but not in the process of voting, only in the candidate. I think we have sufficient reason now to qualify our faith in Joseph Biden as undermined. That's no one's fault but his own. Misleading claims about results? Yeah, here's the trouble with that. We already have a process in place to sort that out. Either candidate can claim victory if they like. It's the election process itself that's designed to mitigate that issue. That is, if the Democrats would stop trying to change it last minute. Back in 2017, Mark Zuckerberg announced a list of election-related changes the platform was going to make. These changes will have been implemented by now. This list included creating more services to protect our community while engaging in political discourse and increased sharing of threat information with their partners. Quote, It's important that tech companies collaborate on this. End quote. That was Zuckerberg. So think back again to Senator Lee's parlor post about what happened to an innocuous tweet that used the wrong name, and his own tweet that attempted to share a sourced news story from a long-established newspaper. What did the warning tell him? Tweet not sent. Your tweet couldn't be sent because this link has been identified by Twitter or our partners as being potentially harmful. What did Zuckerberg say about sharing information? It's important that tech companies collaborate on this. Facebook's list of changes also included creating more services to protect our community while engaging in political discourse. More? Their idea of protecting people now includes not allowing us to see information Facebook finds harmful to their political goals. We're getting more of this? A year later on the NBC Nightly News, Zuckerberg discussed measures they were taking on the election integrity front, including blocking posts rejected by independent fact-checkers. Before we get into Facebook's fact-checkers, I want to introduce you to the not-so-subtle art of spinning a fact-check. If you want to see a leftist organization tripping all over themselves to try to spin a story, go to Snopes.com. They advertise themselves as 
the definitive fact-checking site. Search what's true and false about Kyle Rittenhouse's alleged victims. What you'll find is half an article about the charges filed against Kyle, then a section called what we know about the victims aside from their rap sheets, then a small section at the end that actually addresses what the three men are accused of, which is exclusively the contents of their rap sheets. This is some quality spin and distraction. So let's see what Facebook's independent fact-checkers, like Hard Left Politico, have been up to. From the New York Post. Way back on February 23rd, the Post ran an opinion piece by Steve Mosher, saying that we couldn't trust China's story about the origins of COVID-19. He argued that the virus might, might, have jumped to the human population thanks to errors at a Chinese laboratory in Wuhan, rather than via the city's now-notorious wet market. The social media giant's fact-checkers decided this was not a valid opinion. If you try to share Mosher's column on Facebook, the social network stuck a false information alert on top, saying that finding was checked by independent fact-checkers and preventing your friends from clicking to connect to the original article to see for themselves. Let me interject here. In case you missed it, this was an opinion article. Again, an opinion article. This was not presented as news or as established and proven fact. It was presented as someone's opinion. Perhaps a better label could have been that it was someone's observations, supported by verifiable facts, openly acknowledging that the allegations were not proven, only that observations and evidence lend themselves to certain conclusions. It also entirely prevented people from seeing the article for themselves and making their own decisions about it. Back to the article. And who did this fact-checker rely on for their opinion? As reporter Cheryl Atkinson notes, one expert consulted had a clear conflict of interest. She has regularly worked with Wuhan's researchers, and even done her own experiments there. The only thing independent about this fact-checking process is that it was done independent of Facebook. The purpose of an independent, third-party intermediary is that they are supposed to come to the table with no vested interests. Oops. Back to the article. This week brought hard news in the form of State Department cables from January 2018, showing that the U.S. government had long-standing grave concerns about safety protocols at the Wuhan lab, China's only Level 4 biohazard laboratory. The New York Post has asked for weeks to get Facebook to unblock the Mosher article. On Friday, the social network finally did so, though without acknowledging that it had been wrong all along. What happens when these leftist organizations determine they don't like a user's content? Do they admit to themselves that it's okay for people to have different ideas? Do they acknowledge that they are not the ultimate authority on truth? Do they recognize the autonomy of their users to determine what information is valuable to them and what is not? From Facebook's own documents. When false, altered, partly false, or missing context is selected by a fact-checking partner, we take action. Some of these actions may include reduced distribution. We show the piece of content lower in the newsfeed, significantly reducing its distribution. And on Instagram, we remove it from explore and hashtag pages and downrank content in feeds and stories. Sharing warning. When someone tries to share a post that has been rated by a fact checker, we'll show them a pop-up notice so that people can decide for themselves what to read, trust, and share. Sharing notifications. If someone has shared a story that is later determined by fact checkers to be false, we notify them that there is additional reporting on that piece of content. Misinformation labels. We apply a clear visual label to the context that has been debunked by fact-checkers and surface their fact-checking articles for additional context. Removing incentives for repeat offenders. When pages or websites repeatedly share content that's been debunked by fact-checking partners, they will see their overall distribution reduced, 
and will lose their ability to advertise or monetize within a given time period. Most of these are inconsistent with the values they claim to be protecting with the fact-checking. Reduced distribution? If it's false, you either leave it be and allow people to be responsible for themselves, or if it really is that dangerous, it should probably go away entirely, shouldn't it? The reality is, they're just trying to influence the discussion. Let's do a little bit of translation on the rest of this. Sharing warning. We're going to warn you that our fact checker didn't like this, and neither should you. I'm not going to base my news choices on opinions of people who don't share my values. Sharing notification. If we miss something and decide you shouldn't have seen it, we'll warn you later that you should disregard it. Misinformation labels. If we don't like content, we'll put up barriers and try to redirect you to our point of view. Removing incentives for repeat offenders. When someone shares a lot of stuff we disagree with, we'll make sure it's difficult to get to, and then we'll hurt their business for good measure. Remember, these aren't good faith interventions. It's one thing to take down active calls for violence and destruction, which they typically don't do, by the way. It's something else entirely to block videos from credible and experienced doctors disagreeing with the political narrative about COVID. Yeah, that was a big one. If you missed it, you might want to reevaluate where you get your news. When I was looking at articles about Google manipulating and censoring their search results, I came across this on LifeSite, written by an American Thinker author. Experiment shows Google censoring American Thinker. Big Tech's institutional bias against conservatives was once relegated to the realm of conspiracy theories. Today, it's an immutable fact, and Big Tech doesn't even seem to be interested in hiding it anymore. For example, as some have seen, try searching for socialism and racism. The results inexplicably include search results for capitalism and racism. If you search for capitalism and racism, but happen to misspell capitalism, the helpful engine helps you get to the intended destination. However, if you search for socialism and racism and happen to misspell socialism, it takes you right back to the search results for capitalism and racism. If, however, you search for socialism and racism and happen to misspell socialism, it takes you right back to the search results for capitalism and racism, and the same articles. Curious how that happens, huh? It's almost as if the algorithm isn't designed to help me find what I'm looking for, so much as it's trying to lead me to find something that someone else wants me to find. He goes on to explain that, as a conservative writer, he searched several articles that he had written, by exact title, on Google, and found that his original work was not to be found. He made the same searches on DuckDuckGo, and each time his original source article was the first hit. In my opinion, this is going to get worse, and more overt. The left is desperate right now. They've shown their hand. They're all in. And a desperate animal is a dangerous animal. The beautiful thing about the free market system, or I guess right now the free-ish market system, is that if we choose not to patron a business, we don't have to. If a car dealership gives you the runaround, you go to another car dealership. If a grocery store keeps selling bad fruit, you go to another grocery store. It's time to go to another grocery store. For too long, we've been subject to malicious manipulation of the information available to us. How many times have you tried to talk with coworkers about some huge current topic and they hadn't heard a thing about it? I had that experience just this last week with the Hunter Biden story. How many times have you heard a damaging story about the left, tried to look it up, and found only the left side of the argument? This is an abusive relationship. How does an abuser maintain the power to get what they want and ensure they're safe from exposure? They control the opportunities for communication. They control what information their victims can receive so they aren't aware that help is available and things can change. And they control what information their victim can communicate out so that the world doesn't know there's a problem. Check and check. Why do victims stay in abusive relationships? A couple of reasons are 
the abuser promises over and over that they'll change. Yeah, heard that from these tech giants. And they don't think they have anywhere else to go. There are alternatives to Silicon Valley. There is a way out of this abusive relationship. Big tech isn't going to change, and there are other places to go. Every platform the left controls has an alternative that is dedicated to free expression. Twitter has Parler, Facebook has Minds, Google has any number of competitors, and YouTube has Rumble. There is a choice. These are not right-wing sites. They're platforms that were created to fill a need. They were created to provide the same services we use now, but with the express purpose of not interfering in our communication. We've already been told there are conversations we can't have on Silicon Valley platforms after the election. We've seen that there are conversations we can't have already. They claim to be protecting the public discourse from misleading information, but from an extremely biased and agenda-driven position. We're grown adults. We have no need for corporate helicopter parents. We have to be our own judges of truth. When a meaningful story breaks and there's question about its validity, we can check their sources. We can compare information from different sources. If we're never allowed to see the information in the first place, or if we're only shown one side of it, we can't do any of that. Who are Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Google to declare themselves the arbiters of truth? By declaring themselves an authority over us, determining what's right and wrong, they believe themselves our betters. All we have to do to unsubjugate ourselves is walk away. All right, I'm going to call it there. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Parler at Real Into the Fray. And if you find value in what I'm doing, please share it. I don't have a lot of reach right now, but with your help, these ideas might just do some good. It's time to leave the left's playground. We don't need them, and they're not doing us any favors. All right, I'll see y'all next week. Till then, be informed, stay safe, don't do anything stupid. (music) 